You are listening to The Investor Way with Sam Ball and Jonathan McEwen. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. Hello and welcome to The Investor Way with myself, John McEwen, my co-host Sam Ball. It's the 4th of October. Today on the show, we have AG Barr, Boohoo, Next, Kingfisher, Saga, and our US company of the week is Nike. Sam, shall I kick us off with AG Bar? Absolutely. Okay. I wouldn't say it's a favourite of the show, but we, we've covered it uh, fairly regularly. It's a FTSE 250 listed drinks maker whose products include Iron Brew, Rubicon, Strathmore Water and Funkin' Cocktails. They had their half-year results out last week with reported revenue up to the 31st of July up 16.7% to £157.9 million with strong sales growth across the business. Underlying profits rose 22.8% to £25.3 million and operating margins remained flat at 16.2% with ongoing cost inflation impacting and the group are expecting full-year operating margins to fall to 14%. If we break those results down a little further then, the soft drinks division grew revenue by 12.3% to £131 million, with price increases offsetting a 3% fall in volumes. Gross profit was up 8.7% to £58.9 million. And in the cocktail solutions business, which is basically Funkin' Cocktails or the Funkin' Cocktail range, revenue grew strongly 21.4% up to £22.7 million and gross profit was up 24.7% at £9.1 million. In the other segment, which is new and incorporates the oat milk brand MoMA, revenues came in at £4.2 million with a gross profit of £1.4 million. Free cash flow was £4.4 million, down from £15.5 million for the same period last year, with a significant increase in the capital expenditure, with attempts to increase production capacity, capability and overall efficiency. Full-year capex is estimated to be between £16 and £20 million, up from £5 million a year earlier, and it's expected to be at this level for at least another two years. Net cash, excluding lease liabilities, stood at £61.1 million. And the group announced an interim dividend of 2.5p, a share up 25%, and expects full-year profit to be ahead of last year. Roger White, AG Bar's chief executive, confirmed the group would continue to invest in brands, even though inflation of raw materials and energy is pushing up costs, and commented on the inflation, stating... We're considering affordability in everything we do, but some of the inflation is just so immutable, it will undoubtedly impact on consumers to some degree. As we look forward, it looks tough and margin compression we are seeing in the second half is real. In terms of valuation, AG Bar has a market cap of £524 million and trades at 15 times earnings, compared with closer to 20 times earnings in its 10-year average and it yields in the region of 3%. I thought these results were fairly good, uh, managing to offset the fall in volumes with price increases, boosting the revenue. Perhaps they were slightly flattered by the weather and the reopening after lockdowns in 2021, but they're still good. 
They're investing strongly in the brands Iron Brew Energy and Rubicon Energy after losing Rockstar, which yet to see whether that's really going to replace Rockstar, but it, it's something. And the standout performer was Funkin with the pre-made cocktails in a can growing strongly, although it's still a smaller part of their overall revenue. But that's probably the most exciting part of the business. It's still too early to tell with MoMA, um, which is the oat milk business we commented on last time, which was an acquisition. An AG bar owns around a 60% stake, but it's aiming to complete complete acquisition of the company. And I suppose the hype around it is that it's a sector that's growing 16% a year in the UK. So if MoMA could dominate that, then you know, the future would be very bright, but that's, you know, at this stage, a big question mark. Overall, I think it's a reasonable company. However, we've covered Britvic, which is in the same sector, has the better brands and probably has a stronger presence, particularly in Brazil and emerging markets where there will be greater growth. So while that's a little bit more expensive, it's not a massive premium. And I think it offers a lot better future prospects than I would see with AG Bar at the moment. So that would probably be my pick. Sam, your thoughts on AG Bar and these results? I thought the results were pretty good. So when you look at last year's results, they're they're not far off the pre-COVID levels. So it is up against fairly normal comparatives now. So I think they're pretty decent results. I, I agree. I know we say it every time. I, I agree that Britvic has the better brands. I think at 16 times earnings, it's it's not terrible, but I just think in this market, you could probably do a lot better. I was looking, we were not covering it this week, but I, I was looking at Games Workshop the other day, and I think that's trading at a lower PE than AG Bar. Mm. Um, and for me, that's a much higher quality business. So it's not a terrible business, but I just think for the for the price, you can probably do better. And I think you can do better with Britvic in the same industry. But in terms of these results, I think they're pretty good. Would it be one for the watch list? Probably not. Britvic yeah. would be. Yeah. <laughs> if, like, if, if I was going to have one on the watch list, it would be Britvic. I just think it's a better business. Yeah, I would agree with you there. Should we move on to a company that unfortunately did make its way onto our watch lists? With more than the watch, it's, it's uh, one we both own and a uh, favorite of the show. A favorite, um, well, darling. Yeah, um, uh, go ahead, come out with their half year results. So, as John mentioned, we both own it, we've covered it a few <laughs> times on the show. Always marveled at how cheap it is, and it's always surprised us by continuing to get cheaper. So, they've come out with their half year results, and after accounting for returns by customers, revenue fell by 10% to 882 million. That's 56% up on the pre-pandemic period in 2019. Underlying operating profit was down 85% for the half to 9.6 million and down 81% compared to 2019. This was impacted by freight and logistics, inflation, weaker than anticipated consumer demand and high cost inflation from the macroeconomic environment, as well as an increase in brand investment. Boohoo expects a similar rate of revenue declines to persist over the remainder of this financial year if these conditions continue. Full year underlying cash profit margins are likely to be between 3 and 5% compared to the previously guided 4 and 
She has a quite a bumpy day as well when the results <laughs> came out. I think they were they were down ten percent and then they ended up finishing about up ten percent. Is that right, John? Something like that. It yeah. was it was a it was a it was a bumpy week, but it was a bumpy day in particular. Yeah. So if we break down those results a bit more in the largest market, which is the UK, pre returns revenue was up twelve percent, but overall it was down four percent when returns are taken into consideration to five hundred forty five million. Growth did return through the Debenhams online store and other recently acquired brands, including Dorothy Perkins, Wallace and Burton. Gross margin fell from 51.7% to 50.2% as a result of elevated freight cost purchases. Sales in the USA were below expectations, with revenue declining 29% to $177 million, although growth over the previous three years is at 60%. Delivery times are still elevated compared to pre-pandemic levels, but they say things are improving. Gross margin is high, but lower than the previous period. So it's dropped from 61.5% to 60.2%. In the rest of Europe, excluding UK, revenue declined 2% to 102 million. But the region saw a return to growth in the second quarter at 5%. Growth on the pre-pandemic period in 2019 is 17%. And comfortably ahead of the broader market, which continues to be flat versus pre-pandemic levels. Gross margin fell from 53.6% to 52.7%. Rest of the world sales grew 14%, the only region with positive sales growth at the half-year mark, driven by the success of the wholesale sales to Boohoo's partners in the Middle East. This was the segment that saw the biggest gross margin hit, with a fall from 55.7% to 50.8%, reflecting both high freight and distribution costs. Improved cash conversion from operations saw operated cash flows nearly double to 41 million and combined with a fall in capital expenditure from 172.2 to 38.7 million, this drove a big improvement in free cash outflows down from 157 million free cash outflows to just 2.7 million. Boohoo reported a net debt position of 10.4 million versus net cash of 98.4 million last year and 207.3 million three years ago. In terms of the valuation, the business rates at a forward PE of 14.5. That's with the forecast, what is it, 85% drop in operating profit. And that compares to an average forward PE since listing of 38.1. It doesn't currently pay a dividend. My view is, as a Boohoo shareholder or bag holder at this point, Mm. I thought these results were pretty good. Oh, not pretty good, but probably about what we expected. The change in the guidance, I mean, it's it's very, very small. I thought it was fine. I knew the broader economic conditions hadn't really improved, so I wasn't expecting much change. I wasn't aware of a massive change in like the distribution problems. So these results, although they're okay, I was slightly disappointing. But in, in when you look at the picture as a whole, I think it's about what we would have expected. I think... From a cash position, this business will be fine. I mean, we've seen it where they've just absolutely pulled back the expenditure if they need to, and they've gone from 157 to 2 million free cash outflow. And that still includes capital expenditure of 38 million. They're continuing to invest in the US, and they they are basically backing that this is a temporary problem caused by current supply chain and economic issues. And when that bounces back, all this extra demand, all this extra supply they're investing in the US will be used. If that's right, then I think it's a very, very cheap stock. If if that turns out to be wrong, those costs may bite them at some point. But I think it's the right strategy. I think the pullback we're currently seeing is to be expected. I mean, we bought it after it drops about 
66 70 percent or something and it's then drops another 70 <laughs> percent so we i think we topped up when it had dropped 50 percent and we're now down about a third on that top up um yeah. but averaging down averaging down which is a dangerous game to play but mm. i i i think Based on these results, unless unless things deteriorate further, and I don't mean continue as they are, I mean actually deteriorate. This doesn't look like you know we've looked, we've covered Ted Baker a few times. It just looks completely different to Ted Baker. This is in a position where it once the current conditions end in a couple of years, this business is going to be fine. It's not going to run out of cash. There's not really anything when you look at it and think, oh, they could be in serious trouble here. So I'm perfectly happy to continue to hold it i'm not as happy as i was when i bought it mm. but i do think the market's overreacting i think it's very cheap for me it's prices if it's going to go bust and i don't think that's very likely john what are your thoughts on these results and the valuation yeah i mean i'd largely echo what you've said in terms of the valuation we liked it as a company when it was very highly valued it's just struggled to actually see that it was going to go to those levels you know in the near future and it obviously prices in perfection it became more attractive when the vet when it actually had pulled back as you say 50 or 60 percent which is when we took the position I suppose the numbers are a little bit disappointing but probably with all of the headwinds that the sector faces were expected and were sort of reflected in that pullback like you say it with the macro situation going on, you could see it may well be a few difficult years. I don't, like you, I don't think Boohoo is a company that's going bust. I do like it. Psychologically, it's difficult being down. I don't know what I'm down. I'm probably 60 plus percent, must be. But I would be confident in the business in the longer term. We probably, or averaging down is never a sensible strategy, but I would say I still believe in the uh, in the company and its plans. So while I've uh, got a paper loss of 60%, I'm still happy to hold it. But obviously, I'd rather see it recover sooner rather than later. If I'd known, if we'd both known what the results were going to be a couple of years in advance of the coming out, I, like, and if we could say, well, what what price would you then be willing to buy it, knowing these results? I don't know if we would have bought it at too dissimilar a price, if that makes sense. I don't no. think we, even if we known the results in advance, I never would have anticipated it would have fallen as much as it has. Because so now it must be down like ninety percent from the high. It's yeah. In fact, let's just have a look. So the high was in June twenty twenty. So co- sort of COVID summer lockdown. It was about three pounds, nearly three pounds ninety a share. So it's and down over 90%. It's, yeah, pretty much 90 yeah. I've I've topped up, in fact, maybe it wasn't fairly recently. It might have been like May time now, actually. But I topped up in May at about 60p. So that's down about a third. <laughs> I don't I don't think I would top up again in the near future. I, although, you know, if in a year's time it's still at these prices and there's nothing significant that's changed in the business, I wouldn't be averse to topping up again. It's more you, you don't want to average all the way down. Yes, um, yeah. And like I've topped up recently enough that it's just one where I've just got to be like, well, I'll just leave it now. Because I dropped I topped up when it was what eighty percent down rather than ninety. So if if it goes because the difference between a stock that drops eighty percent and a stock that drops ninety percent, if you buy it eighty percent down, you've been cut in half, and that's what's happened to us. <laughs> but it, it but if it goes back up, we're gonna be yeah. sat on like a five bagger. So it's it's quite easy to forget that. Obviously the results aren't great, but they're about what 
what we expected. Mm. So I'm quite, like you say, I'm quite happy continuing to hold mm. it as well. Probably healthy not to log in or just to watch the share price. Keenly no, follow yeah. the business and the results, but not the share price. Yeah. So try not to look at it until we next cover it in six months. <laughs> yeah, <time. that's> right. <laughs> Otherwise, might be a bit depressed. Um, see you in April. <laughs> <laughs> see you in April. Yeah. Did it go in the fantasy portfolio? I don't remember. <laughs> I don't, honestly, I don't remember. Okay. It, it, I, 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 well know, I, I know. It sounds like something we would have put in. Airtel Africa had a double allocation, which is great. And hopefully, I don't remember giving it a double allocation anyway. So that's. No, uh, definitely. Airtel was the only. Maybe, I think Disney might also have a double allocation. Uh, Okay. I don't remember. So, it could well be in there. In fact, it probably is. We'll find out in two months when we the, update it. The, the crown jewels of AstraZeneca <laughs> sold off for opportunity cost. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, well. Right, well, we've got two months. So. Yeah. Because <laughs> so who knows what could happen. Okay, so our next retailer is next. Um, it's um, Fortune. FTSE 100 listed, close retailer. They had their half-year results out last week with total first-half sales growing 14.9% to £2.5 billion with a strong performance in the in-store sales with all of the stores open, offsetting a decline in the online division. The first quarter's double-digit sales growth was dampened 5% in the second quarter and full-price sales have also been falling. The group downgraded full-year pre-tax profit guidance to £840 million compared with the £860 million previously guided, and it's the second profit warning of the year. The online full-price sales fell 6%, with total UK sales falling 3%, and overseas by 13%. The UK sales fall was driven by 15% fall in the Core Next brand, but was partly offset by a 20% growth in the third-party label business. Compared with pre-pandemic levels, total online full-price sales are still 46% ahead. Net margins were under pressure, though, falling from 21.6% to 15.5%, with inflation from logistics and freight, in addition to the lower margins from the label range. The total platform in which other brands use next technology and infrastructure added gap and risk to the accounts, but overall profits declined. In the in-store retail, sales were up 63% to £880 million, with full-price sales slightly better than expected. But that is up against weak comparators with the lockdowns of 2021. Compared with pre-pandemic levels, sales in-store were up 1%. Operating profit, including lease interest, was up to £82 million, compared with a £39 million loss last year. The average lease stands at 4.8 years, and half of stores' leases will expire or break within the next 3.9 years. Retail margins rose despite stock levels growing more quickly than retail sales, resulting in more markdowns as a result of the lower rental costs. In the finance division, the store cards interest income grew 12% to £134 million, with more customers building up their balances, which helped net profit rise 23% to £81 million. Warehouse capital expenditure came to £125 million, which is more or less in line with last year, and the group plans to deliver their flagship automated warehouse 
during the course of next year, which is expected to increase box capacity by 50% and lower per unit labour costs by around 40%. Net debt, including leases, came in at £1.9 billion, up from £1.5 billion last year. Free cash flow fell from £437.1 million to £130.3 million with lower profits. In terms of valuation, Next has a market cap of £6.4 billion and trades at just under nine times earnings with a dividend yield of around 4%. I think the in-store numbers clearly flattened, flattered rather by the weak comparators with the 2021 lockdowns, but the numbers were certainly very good in the first quarter and the in-store sales are up 1% on pre-pandemic, but the online sales more than 40%, which is really impressive. It's really the concerns from the second quarter with sales growth falling, the ongoing inflationary pressures and the second pro- profit warning that bodes less well. And I suppose it's that over that, that macro picture that's really impacting. I mean, it, it is impacting them in, in terms of the, the numbers, but I suppose that future impact, if we go into a deep recession, massive cut to consumer spending or consumer discretionary spending, which are priced in. I don't, I mean, I've got my exposure to Boohoo. I think Next is a very high quality company and it is cheap at the moment, but it's difficult to say, obviously, what's going to happen in in terms of the UK and I suppose global economy and whether this is a reasonable point to start a position in Next. It probably is, but harder times may yet come and the results a few more profit warnings and you could have a bumpy ride with the share price i like the company though the picture is a little bit bleak in the near term but i think it would be a reasonable company a company that i like to perhaps dip your toe in with sam what are your thoughts on next i thought these results were pretty good. It's the guidance, really, that's the problem. But, I mean, who's giving positive guidance at the minute? But in terms of like the, the, the online sales, they're 46% higher than pre-pandemic. But the retail sales are now back above pre-pandemic levels. So it's just had this massive gain in online. It's not had the loss to retail. If you look at it like the three years as a whole, I think that's a really good three years. The, they've got the label business, which I think is quite exciting. So that's where they're charging a commission for sales through their platform, which is, and they've got Gap signed up to that. So that could be quite good as well. And if not, it doesn't, it's not really priced in. It doesn't need to be. It could be a complete flop. It doesn't matter. We've talked about it time and time again. I mean, ne- next online sales are over 50% of the total sales. It is one of, if not the highest quality retailer on the high street, I think, in terms of the results when we look at them. It just stands out above the rest. It's just, the results are consistently fantastic. The dividend's good. To get it at a forward PE of, nine, of, well, of just under 10, I think it's a very, very good business. I think it's a very, very reasonable price. Yeah, you don't know what the economic climate's going to be, but I wouldn't be worried about next getting through it. You might no. have a couple of years of lower earnings, but... You're getting it enough, enough of a discount that I think that's that shouldn't really. You should expect that. That's why you're getting it such a good business for ch- so cheap. So 
I probably wouldn't buy it personally because I've got Boohoo in there already. And although I wouldn't quite class Boohoo as like a pure retailer like Next is, because it's all done online, I don't look there and I don't look and think I need more ex- I need more <laughs> exposure to the fashion industry. I'm quite happy with Boohoo, but no, I, I think it's a very good business at a very reasonable price. Yeah, I really like it. On to another retailer. Yes. One that you do like too, Kingfisher. Yes. Yeah, so we've covered this uh, a few times. Uh, Kingfisher, the owner of Screwfix and B&Q in the UK, have come out with their six-month results for the period ended 31 July 2022. Sales were down 4.1% to $6.8 billion. Gross profit was down 7.4% to $2.496 billion. The gross profit margin was down from 38% to 36.7%. It's interesting that across the board, we are seeing the margins getting squeezed for everyone. Mm. Operating profits down 29.1% to $531 million. EPS is down 29.8% to 18.6p. And there's been a net decrease in the cash position by $329 million. If we look at the retail profit, that's down 27.1% to $555 million. And the retail profit margin is down from 10.8% to 8.2%. Free cash flow is down 85.6% to $104 million, And the net debt has increased from $908 million to $1.8 billion. There were quite a few interesting points in the slides. So the first one is uh, they've highlighted that they've made market share gains in the UK, France and Poland. So they actually operate in a range of countries. I'll just find them actually first. So they operate in UK and Ireland, France, Poland, Iberia, Romania. I think that's pretty much it. They've also got other, but that's tiny. Yes, they've grown market share in UK, France and Poland, which are the three biggest markets. Total e-commerce sales are down 19%. However, over three years, they're up 156%. And they've got 16% market penetration for e-commerce versus 7% in 1920. Interestingly, 91% of the e-commerce orders were were picked up in-store. And for Screwfix, a record 31 Screwfix stores opened in the half in the UK and Ireland, and they're now at 821 stores. And they're on track for 80 new stores by the end of the financial year. They're also now ready to roll out Screwfix in France. In Poland, they had... 25.9% 25.9% like-for-like sales growth over the year and 18.7% year-over-year growth of e-commerce sales in Q2. And they've got 93 stores in Poland now, and that's up from 78 in 2019-20. And they had 15% year-over-year cost, new customer growth in Poland. So in terms of the geographic summary of the total revenue of $6.8 billion, 3.2 billion comes from the UK and of that 2 billion or nearly 2.1 billions B&Q and 1.1 billion Screwfix. So the UK is just under half the total revenue. France is a, about another third. So that's 2.3 billion and that's made up of Castorama at 1.2 billion and Brico Depot at 1.8 billion, at 1.1 billion, sorry. And then they've got Poland, which is it's getting it's approaching 20 percent now that's at 913 million iberia is very small that's 196 million and Romania's 145 million so they're both tiny so that's actually pretty good if they've grown market share in uk france and poland because the other markets are 
pretty insignificant. I didn't realize they were that small. In terms of the valuation, the business now trades at a PE ratio of seven. However, if you assume that one third drop in earnings will feed through into the second half as well, that would put it at a forward PE of eight. And it's currently yielding 5.3%. We've covered this before on the show. I like it. I think it's one of the better retailers listed on the FTSE. I like the geographical diversification. And it also gives it more room for expansion, especially if it is actually increasing market share in those markets. Polish stores, that seems to be going very well. And it's still only got 90 stores in Poland. So you you look at that and it looks like there might be quite a bit more they can do in Poland. I like the business. I think it's at a very reasonable valuation. If you get the, you know, the the expansion, it's pretty saturated in the UK. I think if you get that expansion in Europe, I think it's very, very cheap. And if you don't, a PE of eight with a five percent dividend yield, so what? You're probably still going to do fine. So I like it, John. What are your thoughts on these results and the business as a whole? Yeah, I mean, I think if you looked at the share price and then you saw the results, it's then they don't exactly match up because the results aren't that bad, but the shares have pulled back by over 30% in the last few months. I think it's very positive, as you say, that it's expanding and it's growing its market share. I guess it's what probably is priced in is the, a big downturn and home improvements building are one of those, almost one of those first things to suffer. But as a company, it looks it looks in itself very healthy and it's positive in terms of delivering more growth than you might expect from some bricks and mortar retailers with those European operations. So, I, yeah, I it's one that's grown on me as we've covered it. But it is that I suppose it, those those headwinds are approaching all that we're sort of entering into that I suppose are, are the real concerns with it and hence why it is on paper so cheap pretty similar to next isn't it it's we've covered it a few times it's a very good business yes there's there's some headwinds in the future but that's why you're getting it so cheap yeah because if it was <laughs> if it was smashing it and we were and growth growth was coming from everywhere then it's not going to be at seven times earnings exactly or eight times just yeah so i think if you go back at like a if you go back a year two years the businesses we've previously covered at seven or eight times earnings have usually been quite poor businesses. So like the classic examples, I think Sainsbury's has been around eight times earnings for a while. I think Kingsfish is a much better business. And because of the pullback we've seen in the last six months or so, you're now getting some better businesses that are starting to drop into that range. I think to get Kingfish, all right, if earnings shrink, the dividend might come down. But to get, to get a dividend yield of 5% from Kingfisher, when you might get the international expansion too, for seven or eight times earnings, it's you could do a lot worse, I think. Yeah, and particularly if you were based in America and you were looking at some of the valuations and mm. you've got the strength of your dollar, I mean, some of these companies, there'll be a lot of value there. Yeah, but no, I, I like it a lot. One for the watch list? I, I personally <laughs> wouldn't, just because yeah, yeah. although it looks like there could be growth in the international and particularly in Poland... Yeah. I wouldn't expect a huge amount. And they're very saturated in their biggest market, which is the UK. Right. But it's it's not priced for growth. No. So that it's it's very it's probably quite I think it's probably quite low risk um yeah. for for the potential upside. But for me personally, I don't think it really looks fits what I'm trying to do in my portfolio. What about you? I would say the same. And I do have 
Boohoo. I, I feel like I've got a decent, I've got Boohoo and I've got Tesco. So I think I've got a decent amount of exposure to retail. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't, at the moment, I probably wouldn't be looking to add to it. If you if you were to say to me, oh, you know, you've got to create, say, like a like a fund and it's the top 10 UK retailers, <laughs> there's a good yeah. chance Kingfisher ends up in there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, it probably does. I, 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 I know there are some that, like, next, I think that's very good. We've called B&M a few times. There are some pretty good retailers, but I, I think Kingfisher, is, it's, it's very, very good. It's definitely one of the best retailers we've got listed on the FTSE. Yeah, but there are a lot of very good re- retailers, and they're just not, they're very cheap. I mean, yeah. next is under 10 times earnings, Kingfisher, seven or eight. Tesco's is only about hovering around 10 at the moment. B&M so, was 12 when we last looked. I yeah. think, but that's probably come down. If Kingfisher's down a third, B&M's probably come down a third as well. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, Tesco as well. Morrison's, that was very cheap when that was listed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there'll be others we've forgotten as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, there yeah. are some good ones. But should we move on to a not-so-good business? Uh, oh, okay. So Saga, definitely not a favourite of the show. It's probably one of the, the dogs of the show, isn't it? It's come out, well, to give it some context, it's a FTSE 350 company, best known for its cruises and insurance for the older generation. They had their half-year results out last week with the Greek returning to an underlying, underlying pre-tax profit of £40 million compared with the £2.8 million loss last year, as the insurance division maintained profitability and there were reduced losses in the cruises and travel division. On a reported basis, the group had a loss of £257.5 million with the previously flagged goodwill impairment charge on insurance that reflects an outlook for margins on the home and motor policies. Breaking the results down... The cruise and travel business, which includes the travel, ocean and river cruises, saw a pre-tax loss of £11.6 million compared with a £51.2 million loss last year. Revenue grew by more than 10 times to £136.2 million with ocean cruises returning and removing COVID measures. Ocean cruises excluding customer refunds and two cancellations due to COVID outbreaks were 71% filled during the period. River cruises didn't bode as well, and they were impacted by Omicron and the Ukraine situation. The travel business, which includes Saga Holidays and the Titan brands, saw customer volumes grow from 1,000 to 21,000. The retail broking or insurance division had a pre-tax profit of £35.5 million, down 6.3% from last year as gross underwriting premiums fell by 1.8% to £277.7 million and marketing expenses grew 5.1% to £12.4 million. Motor policies fell 10.9%, home policies by 5.4% and other, which includes travel insurance, actually recovered and improved by 35.2%. Net earned premiums fell by 11.5% to £74.4 million in insurance underwriting, reflecting the 5.3% fall in volumes with a 6.5% in average earned earned premiums. Pre-tax profit came in £16.4 million, down 47.3% on last year, and the underlying combined operating ratio, which considers the percentage of premiums paid out in claims and costs, was down from 
88.4% last year to 110.2%, partly as a result of policyholders getting back in their cars compared with the lockdown period. The group had free cash outflow of £22.1 million compared with an inflow of £26.1 million last year. Net debt came in at £721.3 million, down £7.7 million on the beginning of the financial year. And the group has two corporate bonds maturing in 2024 and 2026, worth £150 and £250 million respectively. The group has maintained its outlook on cruises, travel and expenses for the full year, but notes inflationary pressures in the insurance market having a larger than expected impact. It's revised down its full year underlying pre-tax profit guidance to t- between 20 and 30 million pounds from previously 35 to 50 million pounds guided. Shares were down 20% on the news. In terms of valuation, the group trades at four and a half times forward earnings compared with a 10-year average of 9.8. We've covered Saga a few times on the show now. And still in a very distressed state, I think it still remains uninvestable and wouldn't touch it with a barge pole. And the debt is a massive £721 million too. It's really staggering. Sam, anything more to add? Pretty similar, yeah. The debt's huge. So just to put it into context, the the market cap's £120 million. So it's like six times the market cap. This has dropped out of... It was FTSE 100, I think, back in the glory days. But in the last five years, it's down 97%. And it's probably still overvalued, I think. it's. It, it, I think it'll probably like... I mean, at the minute, the, the cash position's bearable because they've only had an outflow of 22 million. Yeah, if they can maintain that, they'll probably be all right for a couple of years. But then when that debt matures in 2024 and 2026, totaling 400 million, if interest rates are higher than they are now, they're probably just going to go bust. And even if they're not, they might struggle to refinance given the state the business is in now. So yeah, I I wouldn't touch it. It's cheap for a reason. And I think they're probably although they're probably all right for the next 18 months or so, I think within a few years' time they've very good chance they go bust. Not really anything else to say. No. Fine. <laughs> okay. On to our final company of the week. And the highest quality company, Sam? Nike? I think so, yeah. I just had a scan through the list. But yeah, I think it's hard to argue with it. Well, it's pro- um, probably if you were going to make the argument, you wouldn't, you wouldn't pick one of the companies we've, we've got today. Highest quality companies around. You know, well, yeah. it's, right, it's right up there. Yeah, no, very, very high quality. I don't know why it's a thing for so long. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Nike don't need an introduction. They've come out with their Q1 results. Revenues increased 10% on a currency neutral basis, led by, and all these figures will be in dollars, by the way, led by a Nike Direct growth of 14%. Nike Direct is a direct consumer. Nike brand digital business fueled growth increasing by 23%, driven by by double digit growth in Europe, Middle East and Africa, North America and what's APLA? You don't see that normally. Asia Pacific. Uh, Latin Latin America. America. Yeah, it must be. Yeah, good one. Partially offset by declines in greater China. Wholesale revenues increased 1% on a reported basis and were up 8% on a currency neutral basis, with growth due to improved levels of available supply of inventory for partners. It's hinted at a bit here. We'll see it a bit more now. The growth is very good, but because the dollar's strengthened so much and a lot of the earnings come from abroad, that's actually hampered 
the the figures quite a bit. So revenues for Nike compared to the ten percent currency neutral, if you include currency movements, they've only increased four percent to twelve point seven billion. Revenues for the Nike brand were twelve billion, up four percent on a reported basis, and ten percent currency neutral. Revenues for Converse were six hundred forty three million, up two percent on reported and eight percent on currency neutral. Led by d- double digit growth in North America and Europe, set, partially offset by declines in Asia. Gross margin decreased 220 basis points to 44.3%, primarily driven by elevated freight costs and logistics costs. Low margins in the Nike Direct business driven by higher markdowns on, and unfavorable changes in net foreign currency exchange rates, including hedges, partially offset by strategic pricing actions. The overall decrease in margins was primarily driven by North America, which took measures to liquidate excess inventory through Nike Direct markdowns and wholesale marketplace actions. Selling and admin expenses increased 10% to 3.9 billion. Demand creation expense was 943 million. Demand creation, that must be marketing. <laughs> Demand creation, anyway, up 3%, primarily due to normalization of spend against sports marketing and brand campaign investments. Operating overhead expense increased 12% to 3 billion, primarily due to wage related expenses, strategic technology investments, and increased Nike Direct costs. Net income was 1.5 billion, down 22%, and diluted EPS was 93 cents, decreasing 20%. For the balance sheet, inventories were 9.7 billion, up 44% compared to the prior year, driven by elevated in transit inventories and ongoing supply chain volatility, partially offset by strong consumer demand during the quarter. Cash and equivalents and short-term investments were 11.9 billion, down approximately 1.8 billion. As free cash flow was offset by share repurchases and dividends. We also have the revenue by geography. So North America that was up 13% to 5.5 billion. Europe, Middle East, and Africa that was up 1% to 3.3 billion. Although it was up. 17% when you exclude currency changes. Greater China was down 16% to 1.6 billion, although it was only down 13% excluding currency changes. Asia Pacific and Latin America, that was up 5% to 1.5 billion and up 16% when you exclude currency changes. By division, footwear was up 5% to 8.1 billion and that was up 12% excluding currency changes. Apparel was flat at 3.4 billion but up 7% excluding currency changes and equipment was up 5% to 486 million but up 12% excluding currency changes in terms of the valuation the business trades at a market cap of 138 billion has a dividend yield of 1.4% and the PE ratio is now only 25 I say only it was about 40 last time we covered it uh, the only problem is you've lost so much on the exchange rate you're probably paying what would have been a PE of about 30 a few months yeah. ago. But it's the cheapest we've seen it, I think, since we covered it. My view is I think these are excellent results. They're slightly disappointing when you include the currency movements, but we can't really blame them for that. In terms of the res- the underlying results, you can't really expect a business of this size to be putting up much better results than they are. I think if it if it weren't for the exchange movements at a PE of 25, it's starting to look quite interesting. It's still expensive, but there's a lot of businesses of that quality around that level. For example, Nestle comes to mind. That's usually 20 to 25 times earnings. It's getting to a point where actually you can make an argument for it 
because it is such a high quality business. But at 25 times earnings, it's more like 30 with the exchange rate now. So I probably wouldn't pay 25 anyway, but I definitely wouldn't pay it with such a weak pound. John, what are your thoughts on the results and the valuation? I mean, yeah, like you say, it's it's a valuation that we haven't seen for a long time with such a high quality business. The results were very good, especially for a company as big as Nike. And it's such a such a high quality. I mean, it's one of the top brands in the world. And that's what you're paying up for. As a UK investor, yeah, it, it is. It's more difficult, I think, because of that extra expense and the pound being very weak, the, don- the dollar being very strong wouldn't necessarily put me off taking a position in it probably take a smaller position you know build build it up but yeah it's a company I I do really like and I would like to own at some point but whether I cough up at the moment uh, I think when you see red across the portfolio it's it does it doesn't put you in that mood but I suppose it's when these these quality companies are going on sale and they're currently on sale and you never know how long they will be there for. I just think 25 times earnings is still quite expensive anyway. It's probably more like what it should have been 18 months ago. It is. But how often do you come across these businesses that, I mean, how how cheap do they get? How The high quality ones. Yeah. I guess you'd hope for a drop in earnings. Maybe (laughs) it stays at 25, but you're getting it on the reduced earnings. Yeah. Yeah. it, it, It is tricky though. Well, that's the problem. And like in this environment, we put in up those results People will pay up for that because although the margins are getting squeezed, Nike, it's, it's probably the, the best set of results we've covered. And that's what people are paying 25 times earnings for, isn't yeah. it? A Diageo, that's another one that springs to mind that's in a similar valuation. Well, has that even, that's not really dropped, has it? It hasn't, no. <laughs> it hasn't. <laughs> it's it actually, yeah, not, not far off all-time highs, but it, it is but that, putting... That is very defensive, though. Yeah, it is putting, yeah, and it puts numbers up to to justify the, the figures, but it has done consistently. Yeah, but Nestle, Nike, Diage, all very, very high quality. Yeah. Of the six businesses then that we've covered this week, so AG Bar, Boohoo, Next, Kingfisher, Saga and Nike, if you had to buy one, which one would it be? Oh, it's quite, it's quite tricky, actually. I suppose you've got Boohoo, Next, Kingfisher... All in that in that retail category and at very very depressed multiples, and then there is that sort of standout quality with Nike. I already have exposure to Boohoo, so I have sort of committed to that and c- continue to hold it. Probably depend a bit on what the rest of my portfolio would go out on. It maybe I'll go for Nike. I- I'd pay up and go for Nike. High quality business. It's expensive at twenty five times earnings, but it's one of the strongest brands in the world. I'd go with Kingfisher, I think. Okay. Yeah, I do like Nike, but I, th- I think it's still quite expensive. And to me, I view it as paying like 30 times earnings because of the exchange yeah. rate. Yeah. I know it could just stay at current levels forever. And at the end of the day, 25 times earnings is 25 times earnings. Yeah. But I just think with Kingfisher, you, there's, I think you, there's not much risk. It's a very good dividend, very good business. You've got the international expansion and it's very cheap. I think there's a lot to like about Kingfisher, but... And uh, I mean, what this, like about Nike. Uh, the aside, just going on to the currency, though, not that you have a crystal ball, but would you expect strengthening in in sterling over the next few years, or you know, is that something that would put you off? Because if you if you thought that it's it's 
where it is and it may go lower over the next few years, would that be more of a reason to take a position in Nike that it could it could get worse? Yeah, I suppose it can always get worse, John. It just depends on your attitude, doesn't it? Um, mm. But yeah, I take your point, yeah. Mm. And if you look at it over, like, say, the past 10 or 15 years, it has just been a gradual decline. And even if you end up in a position where you get a weakening jo- dollar generally, that doesn't necessarily mean that it will weaken relative to the pound. No. We could just do even worse. So, yeah, I take your point, And we're not, we don't trade currencies. But at the minute when I'm, you know, every month when I've got my new money to invest, I'm not, I'm now looking at the US stocks and it's, it's tougher to justify. I, I do find myself now gravitating towards the UK ones more than the US ones. Yeah, fair enough. Right. In that case, thank you very much for joining us and we'll see you all next week. See you next week. Thank you for listening to The Investor Way. To get in touch, please follow us on Twitter at TIW Tweets. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. Neither Sam nor Jonathan are financial advisors. For investment advice, please consult professional advisors.